Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Jackie and I have big news to share with your church that obviously your pastors know about. Uh, Last Sunday, I announced to my own church that we have accepted a new ministry, a new call, a new position that takes us out of New York into Alabama, Coleman, Alabama. And so um, my yeah, I know. That's right. That's right. Um, So it's bittersweet, but apparently more bitter uh, than sweet. Uh, Yes. But um. Yeah, so uh, la- last week at my own church was, uh, it was a total sob fest, and we were all, you know, it was mostly us crying, but also them, um, but I- I've been at that church for 14 and a half years, wow. and so, have, yeah, have become family, and uh, I feel that way uh, about City on a Hill. See, that's the thing, you know, uh, to be a part of the teaching ministry here for so many years has been such a privilege. I assure you, Jackie and I have been blessed. If we could measure who's blessed whom in all this, believe me, the Richters are better people. We're better Christians uh, because of knowing the Lecce family and your sweet church. And so uh, we wanted to, to share that. In terms of calendaring, my, my final Sunday at New Hope will be February 19th. And my official last day will be the 28th. I'll kind of be around. I begin the new gig in, uh, don't probably shouldn't call it a gig, uh, March... Won't they be in for a surprise? Uh, it's going to be a reverse culture shock. They'll never uh, be the same again. That's, that's, right, sure that's, about. Right. that's right. My first and last Sunday will be March 26th. Uh, that'll be, be quick. Yeah, maybe back real quick. I don't know what happened. Uh, but so um, Your last Sunday here. Right. So you don't care about that for, for our purposes here. Uh, yeah, we'll we're going to really pray for that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, no, but uh, this Sunday and then next Sunday, God willing, I'll be back at City on a Hill. And then my final Sunday will be February 12th with City on a Hill. And uh, I have already thought about an October date to come back up, to pop back up. I'm up here anyway, and so it's not goodbye. You know, as much as I'm able to uh, come up and uh, be with you all, and as long as I uh, receive an invitation, I'll be happy to accept. Uh, so, uh, you know. You've got an open invitation, and on that 12th, I just would like to uh, invite you to write a little card or something that's uh, and a little note for uh, Pastor Tom. Uh, I'm sure that he has blessed your life. There isn't anybody whose life he hasn't blessed. So you may want to just drop a little line in a card. We're going to have a little cake for him. We shouldn't tell him that, but we did already. Oh, it's too late. The 12th. We're just going to send him I'll be him shocked. Off. Yeah, you'll be shocked. And we're just going to pray for him, and we're going to release him with uh, our absolute blessing. We'll cry while we're doing it. but um, So that's the 12th, so you may want to get a card and be pe- prepared for that. And as he already told you, he promised us that we'd get him up here that's a right. number of times through the year. So it's, it's certainly not goodbye. That's right. Tell us what God has on your, on your heart today, this morning. Please. Thank you. Thank you, pastors. And, uh, you know, it, it's important to note that this has been uh, one of the most difficult decisions of our life. Several months ago, I asked the prayer team after service to pray for me. They thought I was coming to join them in prayer. I was like, no, 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 no. And uh, they did. And that was what I was praying through, really wrestling through, and came to a firm conclusion that the answer was no, and told that church no. And then uh, all, it's almost like the Israelites, right? You follow the follow the cloud, follow the pillar. You kind of take the next step. And then it seemed like the next step was then, uh, to say after some, some other, some time went by and some other things happened and thought, no, maybe God is in this. Maybe this is a yes. And we need to, 
do this. Anyway, it's been really, really tough and have been on all sides of this decision. Uh, we, we love New Hope. We love City on a Hill, obviously. Uh, Jackie and I feeling a sense of restlessness, a longing for what can be described as rootedness. New York has been such a wonderful place to live. All three of our kids are born and raised in Queens, New York City, which is something they will uh, be proud of their whole life long, especially since we all know Queens is the next hot up-and-coming borough. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We'll never be Brooklyn. Um, and this, you know, this, this, this is the only home our kids have ever known. Uh, Jackie, as you may or may not know, my wife is an only child and her parents are getting into their seventies and they're in great health. And, uh, we're, we're kind of thinking about, you know, what may be ahead. We, Jackie, all these years has been a thousand miles from her nearest relative. And that's not been easy. A thousand miles from our, mine too. Um, we feel like, you know, Jackie's folks have a lot to offer our kids and that generation has a lot to teach and our kids hopefully to be a blessing to them. We acknowledge ultimately our roots are in God, right? I mean, we've got all eternity to spend with them. Um, but that's part of what makes it so tough is that without a biological family so close, the church has been our family and we've discovered that that's, that's real. And uh, we spend Thanksgiving with, you know, the people of our church and so forth and so on. Uh, the church in Alabama is a, uh, it's a historic church. It's, it's kind of like uh, uh, small compared to Alabama, big compared to Queens. You know what I mean? So uh, in terms of numbers, things are a little weird in the Bible Belt. You're kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of you. Are you a Christian? Like, you know, like you got to figure all that out. Um, uh, Jackie has a long history. This is actually the church where Jackie was baptized herself as a, a young girl. Um, and, uh, so we are the Lord's servants. We pray to be useful in his kingdom. Uh, when I think about leaving churches, I cannot imagine how difficult it would be to do over and over again. I mean, you all, are obviously, you know, the Lecce's, you know, so many years and we've been there 14 years, just, just so you know that not every church has that story. And I think it's, it's a real blessing. Don't take for granted the tenure of the Lecce's. And I know you don't, and I, I know you don't, but, um, uh, I think about, man, there are some pastors and some ministries who are called to church planting, for example, and they move on. And I can't imagine doing that over and over again. But there was a man in the New Testament who did just that. He was called to church planting. His name was Paul. And Paul would plant these churches and love them so deeply and struggle with them, suffer with them and, and teach them. And then God would call him to a new mission field. And they would, you know, they would say, don't go. In fact, I always imagine that wasn't there one time in Acts where they, they tell him, here's what's going to happen. The guy takes Paul's belt, right? You remember this? And he ties himself up and he's like, here's what they're going to do to you. And I always think like, can you imagine like, here's some cake, Pastor Tom and a card. And somebody's like, give me your belt. They're going to, you know, uh, but, but he had to go. God called him. And uh, anyway, it's no surprise that when Paul writes his letters to his churches, uh, many times in his letters, he includes a prayer for them. And we're going to look at one such prayer today. Now, it's not like I'm Paul and you're Ephesus and, you know, and, uh, nothing like that. But maybe in some small way, in some small way, I can understand the love that Paul had for the people to whom he ministered to and he loved. And I thought of all things he could pray, wouldn't it be cool if I could pray this over you? I'm not, I'm not trying to be Paul and you're not trying to be Ephesus, but uh, I think I can understand a little bit of what's what's going on. In uh, Ephesians 3. So that's where we're going to start. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I have the verses up here on the screen for you if that's helpful to you. And we'll set up. There's basically four parts to this prayer. And what I thought would be cool is if we would take uh, each part and then I would pray that prayer for you. So it would be like, like for the reason I'm telling you that is sometimes when I bow my head in prayer, it means the sermon's over. And this is going to be a real dirty trick if you think it's over. It, it, I'm going to do that four times. So. Ephesians 3.14. 
So we'll just jump right into the prayer. For this reason, I kneel. He's setting up his prayer, and this is just a little background. I'm giving you the background. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For what reason? Well, everything he's been saying in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, verses 1 through 13. He's saying the God, the God who created everything has made this family. This, the, he's taken these rebel sinners. There were Jewish brand rebel sinners. There were Gentile brand rebel sinners. Either way, he's taken all and he has adopted them into one family of God. And that blew Paul's mind that the risen Lord Jesus had the power to seek and to save Sinners from Jewish background, sinners from Gentile background, and put them together in unity in Christ. And then he explodes in this praise to Jesus Christ. And anyway, he says, for all that, I kneel. For all that reason, I, I pray. And, and, and uh, not, you know, not for nothing, I just want to point out, I kneel before the Father. I, I, he may be just metaphorically, like, kneel before the Father, but he's probably not. Probably that's, you know, right, the kneeling posture of prayer. What's interesting is, while he's writing this, he's under house arrest. Not like... Um, uh, Lindsay Lohan, like, uh, like uh, uh, they would either attach to your ankle, they would chain you to a guard, right? So he's, he's chained to this guard. So I always wonder, like, from the perspective of the guard, what is your... I kneel, we're praying. Oh, oh, we're praying, okay, right? Like, I mean, that's discipleship. That is a captive audience. See what I did? Just wanted to point out that it would have been quite an experience for the Roman guard to... To kneel when he knelt, whatever. From whom, oh, sorry, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Back then and even today, many of you, your last name is taken from your paternal last name. Think about it this way. Every human on earth bears the image of our maker, God. And now he gets to the prayer. And here we go. As I count them, there are four things to this prayer. I pray, first of all, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. So many prepositional phrases there. That you may be, no, that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. All right. What is it to be strengthened in the inner man? What is that inner man? This is the realm of your spirit, simply put. This is the realm of your soul, who we are on the inside. This is so much more than our feelings. But think about it. I'm sure this makes sense to you. When our inner man, when our inner person is wicked and broken, it doesn't matter if our outer person is doing great. Right? I mean, you could have everything going so great on the outside, but if your inner man is wicked and broken, it doesn't matter. Jesus put it this way in Matthew. What does it profit a person if they were to gain the whole world but lose or forfeit their own soul, right? Paul picks up on this theme in 2 Corinthians. There's a verse where he says, we don't lose heart because our outer man is decaying, but our inner man's being renewed day by day. Now, the best way to illustrate this is just think in your own mind. Have you ever known someone that's 70 years old, 80 years old, maybe even 90 years old or upward, but they had a twinkle in their eye? It's like they had a vitality, a youthfulness about them. Have you ever known someone like that? Well, what was happening was their outer body was wasting away, but their inner self was being renewed day by day. That's the key. Everybody wants that, by the way. Everybody, you could go to a big bookstore and go to the self-help aisle and say, how do I get strength on the inside? Nobody ever fights me. In fact, I, when I'm invited to go and pu- speak in public schools, which is outrageous because I have no shtick, you know what I mean? I'm a preacher. Like public school, you have to go in like, you know, I'm a former lineman for the NFL Giants or, you know, I can juggle flaming swords or I can bend things with my mind. You know what I mean? You have to have some shtick and then you're like, do all this magic. So don't do drugs. Peace. Like that, you know what I mean? 
I have none of that. I'm a preacher. And so they invite me into like a revival or do something. But then that day they get me into the public schools. I'm always like, hey guys, hey. So I'm, I'm like a preacher. Um, and I'm, I can't talk about that. So I mean, we've got 30 minutes. We're in the gym. You guys want to, anybody got a basketball or anything? I mean, all these kids look at me like, what? Um, and that becomes my shtick, by the way. I'm always like, I'm an average guy. And here I am. So you can be average. Anyway, it's just, it's a train wreck. So what I started doing was, it's a little sneaky, but what I started doing is I'll say things like, there's an ancient Jewish saying, you know, and then quote Proverbs. But anyway, I, I just, I, nobody ever fights me. Basically what I tell them is characters, who you are on the inside and your, and your character. Here's the thing. Nobody ever fights me on that. There's never been a principle that's like, how dare you talk about the inner worth of a human being, right? They're always like, that's great, you know? And so it's like, like you need to, you're great at band, okay? You're great at sports. You train so hard for your class. What are you doing for your character? That's all I'm asking. What, what do you do? Are you doing anything to help you form your character? And usually it's kind of an afterthought. But everybody agrees. Everybody agrees that the inner man is actually the most important. Nobody, nobody lives that way. But we, we all totally agree that's what's most important. Because out, out of your heart flows everything else. That's how, you, how you're going to relate to your, the people around you. That determines what kind of you know, person you're going to be. You could have all this success, but what if you're a, 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 you know, just a grimy human being, right? Then what's all that success got you? Everybody agrees with that. We just don't do the things necessary. So how do you do it? Well, you go to the self-help aisle and it all tells you the same thing. You know, here's some practices. The power of habit. Transform this. Do it this way. There's all these things. The gospel is totally different. They would say, you can't. You cannot. You cannot. Technically, you cannot strengthen your inner man. There's some disciplines you can do and everything. But at the end of the day, he doesn't pray, strengthen your inner man, people. What does he pray? Through his spirit. It's his power. It's his power. There's some spiritual disciplines we all need to do to clean out some obstacles, sure. But at the end of the day, it's His power. It's the Christ life living in us as we yield to His power. Who you are on the inside, strengthened by His power. And God will do it according to, look at this, according to the riches of His glory. You could point out a little bit, He's not, and maybe this is a little too nuanced, but for what it's worth, I'll point out, a couple commentators pointed this out. I was like, ah, it's a little... Uh, but anyway, he said he doesn't give out of his riches. He gives according to his riches. The difference there being if I, if I have a billion dollars and I give out of my billions, I've given you from my big pot of billions. He gives in accordance, in, in the same way a billionaire would give. See, in other words, he gives in line with his generosity. Why is all this power so important? Okay, why, why would he start a prayer by saying, you need to be strengthened with power in your whole, you need to be strengthened with power in your inner person by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is that so important? Why do you lead with that? Here's why. You need strength in your inner man because Paul is about to pray some seriously heavy blessings into your life. Okay. If you're the church at Ephesus, he's like, God is about to hook you up. Okay. Do you have the strength to handle all the blessings that are about to come in your life. This would be if I were like, to go up to one of your kids and like, hey, Joe Lecce has just sponsored for you a one of these uh, Toys R Us shopping sprees. Hmm? And the deal is basically this. You got 20 minutes. You go crazy and everything you can fit into the bag I'm about to give you. Everything you can fit into this bag. Has to, the rule is has to stay in the bag unaided. And if you can get it from the back to the checkout counter, everything you can fit in this bag in 20 minutes, it's yours to keep forever. Kid's like, awesome. And then I hand him a bag, and it's two tissue papers gently tied together. <laughs> like, that is garbage, right? I want to reinforce. I want a wheelbarrow with jetpacks, right? 
That's what Paul's saying. He said, if you're, listen, if your spirit is just flimsy, I mean, you double bag your eggs. What are you doing for your spirit, people? Come on. Right? He's saying, you, listen, you need the strength to it. And think about that. God, some people, it's like God wants to bless them, but their character is not yet strong enough to receive that blessing. God may want to give you more power. It's just that your character, you would mess up more power. He may want to give you more wealth. But right now, you're, there are some people, I want God, I pray, God bless them with millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Because they've proven with their character, what they're going to do with that is not improve their standard of living, but their standard of giving. I want more to flow through these people who have the character to handle. That's what Paul's saying. You're about to get blessed, so make sure your spirit can handle this serious goodness. So let's, let me pray that over you. Let me pray that for your church. And then we'll go on with the sermons, just so you know this isn't the end. Heavenly Father, I pray for the people of City on a Hill that they may be strengthened in their inner person. You have many good blessings in store for them, so grant by the Holy Spirit that their inner being be strong enough to hold it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Part two, prayer two. He says that the Messiah... So strengthen in your inner man and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the second prayer. Your heart being the seat of emotions. We think of it as where love comes from. Paul's saying he wants Messiah. That's another word for Christ, which is all another word for Jesus to dwell. Look at that word dwell as in live there in our home. People who come to our home generally fall into four categories. Uh, there are strangers. There are guests. There are friends and there are family. Strangers don't even come in. They just come to our apartment door. I mean, first we buzz them in, right? Then they come to our apartment door and we, you know, pay for the pizza or the Chinese food we've ordered or whatever. Sometimes it's a UPS delivery. You get the point. They never come in except for one time when the poor UPS guy was at our apartment and we heard smash outside our window and we all kind of realized that was his double park truck. And he was like, you mind if I could take a look at how much trouble I'm about to be in? We're like, go right ahead. Uh, but mo on the most part, strangers don't even come in. Guests. Guests are funny. Guests come in, but they come in with great trepidation and nervousness, I think. You know, sometimes they come, like, bringing, get, bringing gifts. You know, you've done that, right? You go to somebody's house. You don't know where the bathroom is. You don't want to sit on, like, the one couch you're not supposed to sit on. You know, you don't know the rules or whatever. Um, and so guests... Now, of course, good hosts try to do everything to tell you, no, of course, make yourself at home, right? But, but you, still, there's a little nervousness. Friends kick it up a notch. Friends... My friends just raid my fridge, you know, they just, they hang out, they're on, they're on the couch, you know, one guy was like, I think I'm crashing here tonight. I was like, what? No. Oh, uh, friendship. Uh, that was Carson, my five-year-old. And I was like, oh yeah, you live here. And that's the fourth, that's the fourth category, right? These little jokers, these three kids, they don't pay rent and yet they walk around like they own the place, right? They can go everywhere. They, they think, if you ask them, hey, which one's your room? They'd go this whole place, baby. That's right. Why? Because they're family. Family can go everywhere. Hey, what's my point? Is Jesus Christ a guest in your home or does he have access to every room of your heart? Is Jesus Christ a guest in your heart or does he live there? Is there still rooms where you would say, no, 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 Lord, you, uh, uh, no, please just stay in the living room in the lobby and stay in the, the you know, the foyer. Please just Jesus Here's the deal. Stay in the room. Treat him like a guest. Stay in the rooms that I've cleaned up. We've all done that. You know company's coming. You don't clean everything. You immediately triage and like a sacrificial lamb, you designate certain rooms the dump station. 
and you begin to clean, what do you do? You put all the garbage in there, then you lock it, and you tell your kids, under penalty of death, do not let our guests go in there. And the first thing your kid does is, I'll put your coat in here. Oh, it's a landfill, right? Every time, every time, right? You pull the, why do you, why do you, why, why do we have shower curtains? I'll tell you why. For company. Cause all your laundry goes in the tub. Come on. You've done it. You've done it. Don't judge me. You've done this. You, right? So what we tell Jesus is stay in these rooms I've cleaned up. But he wants to look, he wants, no, no, he, he, he wants to go into the, into the junk room. He wants to look behind the curtain. He wants to look in that closet. He wants to look in every, and he opens up doors in your heart and you go, but if you see this, he says, I'm not, I'm, you know, my little sister told me one thing. She said, she always tells her friends, if you're here to see my, if you're here to see me, you come anytime. If you're here to see my house, you give me two weeks. <laughs> I thought that was right. And she's saying, listen, you know, I, Jesus is here to see you. That's why he can be invited into every part of your heart. But we treat him like a guest. Paul's saying enough of that. And his prayer is that Messiah would dwell in your hearts through faith. He's, a, he's not some guest that comes in and out. In fact, I would go so far to say the reason he dwells there is because for Christians, he's the owner. He's the owner. And the owner has every right to live in his house. I know that your previous owner... The world, the flesh, and the devil, I know. They trash the place. I know. I know. And that's why it's hard to trust the new owner. But that's why Paul prays, and that's why I'll pray for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters at City on a Hill will not just have Jesus in their heart as a guest, but that he would live there as the rightful owner. In Jesus' name, amen. Number three of four. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, this is prayer request number three, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. This is a prayer for your minds to comprehend, to apprehend. Specifically, his prayers that we comprehend the four-dimensional love of God. The love that is so long, its arm can reach the lowest center. So wide, it includes every race, every ethnicity, every gender, every man, woman, boy and girl, weird kids and cool kids and punks and emos, right? Love is so high that Psalm 103 says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great is his love toward those who fear him. And so deep, his love is so deep that no one has ever gotten to the bottom of God's love. No one has ever found the bottom of the well of forgiveness. He said, well, what gives me a right to go back to the well of forgiveness? Oh, who gave you the right to go there the first time? You say by grace, you're not. No one will ever get to the bottom of God's love. Now, how do we know that? Well, Paul gives two clues. He says, having been rooted and firmly established in love. I would just like to point out a, a couple things about that, that whole, uh, uh, Scripture verse, rooted and established in love. This is pretty cool. Roots are pretty cool. Roots never take big gulps of water from the soil. Fun fact. Uh, for those of you who are brand new to City on a Hill, it occurs to me, my name's Tom, and I've been here for several years preaching, and uh, one thing you'll need to know that the folks who've heard me for years know is sometimes I make up biological facts and statistics because I'm not a scientist, but I just sort of take wild stabs. Here's one. I bet roots never take big gulps of water from the soil. My hunch is, though, through the phloem and xylem. That's the other thing I do. I throw in random biology terms I remember from the 10th grade that may or may not relate at all. Uh, 
<clears throat> but, uh, you know, through the phloem and xylem, they take up this water. Probably osmosis is involved somehow. The point is they sort of gently slurp water from the earth. That's, that's probably not the scientific word. Uh, they never sit down and feast on nutrients for the soil. In fact, if you're picnicking, and if you happen to picnic by a tree, and you set your water bottle down, and a root comes out, grabs the water bottle, and throws it back, run for your life, because you're in some sort of warped Narnia. That's not what happens. What's my point? Continual nourishment is the key for the tree. Continual nourishment. And the nourishment it takes will determine the tree's health. Uh, isn't it worth asking? Let me ask you in this new year. What are you being continually nourished by? Hmm? I mean, every day. Steady diet. Just a little bit of time every day on that social media. Every day. Nourishment. Nourishment. And if you're being, right, we're talking about a new year. Listen, if I'm being nourished by Doritos and Coca-Cola every day, that's... In a way, that's, that's nourishment. But it's very unhealthy nourishment. It's going to show up. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you reap what you sow. And we get so self-righteous about what we put into our bodies and all that stuff. But it's the same thing about our minds. What are you being nourished by? And it's that daily stuff that adds up. She mentioned the one-year chronological uh, Bible reading plan. Fun fact, that's what Jackie's using this year. She's going through chronologically, right? So you, Genesis, sure, it makes sense, but like Job gets in there pretty early. And anyway, it's really cool to think through. And sometimes the best part is when like uh, you read Isaiah and he's like speaking truth to power and you get to read in Kings whether or not they listen. Spoiler alert, they didn't. And, uh, and, you, and you can, but, but it's cool because like sometimes like in Jeremiah and in like first one of the first Kings or first Chronicles, one of those, they'll actually side by side. It's like, and Jeremiah said, and then Jeremiah's like, and I said, and they don't disagree on what was said. It's pretty cool. Anyway, just a little plug there for that daily Bible reading. The point is it's not a long amount of time, but it's that continual, consistent nourishment. Uh, and if it's not love, if it's not the word, if it's not these positive things, it's going to be bad. And then the other thing I want you to point out, you may be able to comprehend all that stuff. What is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love? Um, uh, he says um, that uh, he prays this together with all the saints. It's in verse 18. Do you see it? It's right in the middle. You might miss it if you go too fast. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth. You know what that says to me? I, individual Christian Tom Richter, cannot know the height and depth and width and whatever the one I left out, length, of God's love is. We can know it. What that means is, I can't just go home, I got my YouTubes, and I got my Matt Chandler podcast, and I got my John Piper, whoever, you know, my Francis Chan, whatever, whoever your speaker, you know, your favorite, and just listen to them, put on some worship music, and I'm good to go. No, I need to be in church every Sunday because you see a different facet of God's glory than I see. And together we begin to see more and more of his glory and his goodness. And I would even go so far as to say that's why we need different denominations of Christians who can see different parts of God's glory. Some, some if emphasize different aspects of God's glory. And together with all the saints, we can comprehend this stuff. I can't do it alone. And then it's just, you know, we got to move on, but the, um, this is a, a deliberate oxymoron. If you look at verse 19, um, uh, to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. I pray you can know what cannot be known. That you will grasp the ungraspable. That's yeah, just me. Fine. I, uh... <laughs> what he's praying is, I want you to know what you cannot know. To know it, but you can't. So know this. But it's unknowable. So know it, but you can't. So know it. 
Isn't that cool? To know the unknowable love of God. I think that's such an amazing line. To know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. <clears throat> I cannot grammatically make sense of that sentence. And yet in my heart, it makes sense. And to some of you, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's like, I know that God loves me. But there's moments when I just start crying. Because I know that He loves me. In a way that I'll never fully know. Is that something? I, he knows me in this lifetime more than I will ever fully know Him and know His love. It's remarkable. And He prays that you'll know the unknowable love of God. So, uh, let's, let's pray that I'll, I would like to pray that over you. And of course, you pray it for yourself and the people surrounding you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters at City on a Hill will know the love of God. And they will know how high, how wide, how long, and how deep is your love. That they will know the unknowable love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Last one, finally, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know when the last time you were so full that you were going to burst. It may be right around the corner, depending on your cake consumption. But however you do, however you choose to do this, uh, if you've ever been so full, you're just going to burst. For me, my uh, weakness is, um, my little weakness is food, all of it. <laughs> and in particular, my favorite food over these years, uh, the leading ethnicity in our church happens to be people from India. We have more Indian folks than anything else. And so uh, my love of Indian food is, is through the roof. I just love it so much. And I've learned to love all the, the spices and I love the whole deal. Here's the thing. Uh, it's so tasty, but rice can be deceptive. Rice has this thing where it, it, it sort of expands in your stomach, I think. I'm convinced. And so you're like, I got room. I got room. And I'm just wolfing it down. And then 20 minutes later, Daddy needs a minute. And I'm just on the couch, horizontal. And I'm like, kids, don't touch me. It's going to be terrible. So please, just let me sit here in misery. Um, I don't know emotionally for you if it's you know Christmas dinner surrounded by your family. If you think back last month, or maybe for some of you nature lovers, it's a mountain or ocean view where you're just blown away by the glory of, 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 of God revealed in His beauty, uh, beautiful creation. It could have been a retreat with your best friends in the world. You're sitting around, you're camping, you're, at a, you're at, around a fire, or you, you know, you've gone to see a favorite sporting event or something together. Uh, here's my point. When you felt full, it was love that did that. That joy, that bursting joy, it came from God. And here's what I maintain. You may, not even, you may not have even known that God was the source. You may not even be a Christian. It doesn't matter. That kind of fullness only comes from God. Pleasure ultimately derives from God. Now, twisted pleasure, like I described of my gluttony or something like that, where I made myself miserable, that's not from God. That's sin. But, but, but the fullness of God that he's talking about, that kind of fullness can only come from God, that kind of pleasure. For some of you, it's been a long time since you felt that kind of fullness. But when you've been strengthened, indwelt by the Messiah, your mind's knowing the love of God, there's no reason why we cannot experience this more often. Filled with the fullness of God. Here's another reason that's so important. Satan, your enemy, preys on those when preys on us when we have a gnawing emptiness. I wrote this sentence down because I wanted to get it right. I wanted to get it precise. I wrote, temptations to sin are poisons disguised as ways to fill the emptiness when all they do is poison us more. See? Satan has a tougher time attacking us when we're full, filled with the fullness of God. You know, honestly, this truth can be illustrated by if uh, you've been to the dentist recently and been told you have a cavity. What's the problem with a cavity? 
oh, it's not just that it may cause a little pain. The problem is a cavity is a hole. It's an emptiness. And decay and rot and bacteria love to live and thrive and grow in the emptiness. So what does a dentist have to do? He has to go in there, scoop out all the bad stuff, and put in a filling. Why? Well, because the bacteria can't grow and the bad things can't rot that which is filled. And that's why Paul's praying, you may be filled with the fullness of God. Satan cannot easily attack the man, woman, boy, or girl whose heart is full to the point of bursting with the fullness of God. And he fills all things. And so that's the fourth and final prayer. And I'd like to pray it for you and then we'll conclude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for sitting on a hill. My brothers and sisters here will be filled with the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. In conclusion, if he answered every one of those prayers today, you know, I don't think, I'm, I'm not just doing that for show. I'm, I'm really praying and he's really listening and he, he answers prayer. So what changes in your life? Like over the last 30 minutes, have things changed? Interestingly, not one of these prayers has dealt with, and therefore I don't think one of these prayers has changed your circumstance. I mean, I don't think, unless you guys are, you know, texting back and forth in, in the middle of this sermon right after, they'd be filled, Bing! you just won the lottery, or you know what I mean, right? Your circumstances didn't change, did they? I, I mean, I don't think. So what changes? Well, we would begin to change maybe how we see our circumstances. The thing we would see is God glorified in the church. I'd be strengthened in my inner man. I mean, ponder that for a second. I'd have more strength. I'd be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in my inner man. My mind would apprehend that, you know, Christ would dwell in my heart. I'd be, I'd be filled with the fullness of God because Christ is dwelling in my heart. You, you start to see where I'm going. There'd be more and more of God's glory in the church. And the one thing I want to get my head around is that when it's like his glory and my good are the same thing. So can he, the only question remains, can, can he answer this prayer? Can he answer this prayer? And so the answer to that is a bit of a trick question. My three-year-old has discovered she can slay with this joke. She can just kill the whole room with this joke. And she uses it all the time, and it gets me all the time, and always makes me laugh. She will take a bite of something that I know she's totally into, and she will say, right, this bite of delicious sweetened cereal or something, you know, Fruit Loops or something, and be like, and she'd look at me and she goes, I don't like it. Like, you don't like it. Because I love it! Right? Every time. And it gets me every time, you know? And then she'd be like, I don't like you, mommy. Mommy's like, what? Because I love you. And I'm like, you know, so it's like, a, okay. So I'm now going to, I'm now going to do that to all. She like Rick rolls the whole, I'm now going to do that to you. Uh, can God answer this prayer? No. Because he can do more. Now, <clears throat> to him, God technically does not answer this prayer. He does more. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, right? Immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He cannot, it's not just that He's going to answer the prayers Paul prays for the church at Ephesus or that Tom prays for the people he loves at City on a Hill. It's that God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Are you ready for that in 2017? Are you ready for your heart to be filled with the fullness of God? Not just you, it'll affect your kids, it'll affect your families, it'll affect your parents, it'll affect where you work, where you go to school, it'll affect this nation. Strengthened souls, Christ at home in our hearts, knowing the four-dimensional love of God and filled with all His fullness. 
and God alone will be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this four, these four prayer requests Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. And I pray, oh God, that in some measure, city on a hill too would be blessed with these same things in the coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We turn our attention now to the Lord's Supper. A proper and fitting way to think about this. The unknowable love of God in so many ways was revealed. And that's why Paul strains the limits of language to say things like that you would know the unknowable love of Messiah. What makes this so powerful is his great sacrifice was for us and our salvation. It wasn't just a martyr dying for a cause, however noble that may seem. This was a savior dying for you and for me. On the night he was betrayed, the Bible says that Jesus took some bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. And then he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're doing. That means this is a he said twice, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what this is about. It's a supper of remembrance. It's a symbol, obviously. It's not a full supper that we're here feasting on. It's, it's, it's symbolic, right? There's bread and there's the cup. That's what he told us the symbols would be. And so if you're a believer, you're to take this symbol and to call to remembrance. That means pull to the forefront of your mind Christ's sacrificial death on the cross for you and for your salvation. If you're not a believer, if you're not yet a believer, you don't need to receive these symbols. That won't do you any good. No, you, you don't need to receive the symbol that points to Christ. You need to receive Christ himself. You need to receive Messiah. You need to be adopted into this family. The invitation is open to you today. And there's a prayer team standing by right after the service that can help you do that. So for everyone, there is an invitation, if you will. Now, the ushers are going to walk around and they're going to be moving around and help us get to the table in a reverent fashion. Be wise for us to use this time to focus our, focus our hearts on the uh, height and depth and width and length of his love for us and to begin to comprehend more and more of the unknowable love of Christ. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.